On today's episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast, we have Kimberly Hamilton-Ross and her doctor, Dr. Julie Euler. But I think having a physician who, who truly cares about you as a patient is helpful. You're not just, okay, this is my two o'clock. And you know, you have to really care about the patient. We're back with another episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast sponsored by the Buxbaum Institute. On this podcast, we speak to patients and doctors about all aspects of excellence in clinical medicine. I'm Adam Seafew, and today we have one of our occasional conversations with one of our patients. I'm joined by Kimberly Hamilton-Ross and Dr. Julie Euler. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Since we're focusing on Ms. Hamilton-Ross today, I'm going to give the briefest possible introduction to my colleague, Julie Euler. Dr. Euler is a general internist and a professor of medicine. She chairs the Women's Committee here at the University of Chicago and is an associate program director of the Internal Medicine Residency. She's a fellow of the Academy of Distinguished Medical Educators and past president of the Midwest Society of General Internal Medicine. Thanks for your help with this, Julie. Yeah, looking forward to it, Adam. So, Ms. Hamilton-Ross, um, before I ask you some questions about your time here as a patient and your relationship with Dr. Euler, can you just tell me a bit of your story? Where are you from? What kind of work did you do? Do you have family in the area? That kind of stuff. First of all, thanks for having me. And Absolutely. Please call me Kimberly. <laughs> Kimberly, you got it. Um, I'm, well, I was born in New York, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and then moved to Chicago at six months. So I was raised <laughs> in Chicago. The interesting thing is I was born on my dad's birthday, so I was the birthday present. <laughs> Beautiful. And um, my history, I am a speech-language pathologist. I retired in May of 22. That was at the urging of Dr. Euler <laughs> because uh, working with kids, special needs kids, I was always sick come September. <laughs> so she's like, when are you retiring? So, but I did retire in May of 22 when um, I was caring for my mom. And it was just like, I was going to uh, retire anyway in June of 22, but I went ahead and, and took FMLA. So um, do I have family in the area? I have one sister and we both live in South Holland and I have a husband and then I have lots of cousins, not so many aunts and uncles anymore. My dad had, um, he was one of 16. Wow. And there are only three left. <laughs> so, yeah, but from that, there are lots of cousins all around the country. Cool. So, um, so Dr. Euler thought of you for the podcast, I think, because you've had, um, let's say, extensive experience navigating the medical field while you cared for your parents. Um as much as you're comfortable sharing, what was that experience all about? What was that like? Um, well, as they continued to age, and I knew that I needed to know what was going on because as I watched my dad, my dad was 94 when he transitioned. My, my mom was 90. Wow. So um, my dad was first Dr. Orla's patient, and then— um, I think I started accompanying him to okay. visits with her, and then I became her patient, and then um, I put my mom on because <laughs> I really did not care for her physician. 
Um, Dr. Euler is a gem. She really <laughs> is. She cares for the patients and you can tell that she cares for the patients. So anyway, so going through caring for them with um, going to dad's visits with Dr. Euler and then mom's visits with Dr. Euler, it was it was really kind of seamless. You know, she welcomed me, if you will. I didn't feel like an outcast. I was part of sure. um, their health care, what they needed, because she would explain it to me, to them. And then I'm there and listening and then interpreting so that if you understand my parents' generation, unfortunately, I feel that they just listened to the doctor and that was it. And they took whatever they said yeah. and they never questioned it. I'm a questioner <laughs> because I'm like, why? What for? Why do I have to take this medicine? It's not working. This blah, blah, blah. So that's what who I am and yeah. what I do. So, um, But she helped me feel comfortable in being a part of the care of my parents. And I was talking to a, a relative this morning, and it was quite the journey. Yeah. I will say that. I remember, I don't remember when he had his appendectomy, but um, there was an incident. It was it was here at the hospital, and it was about his care on the floor, and Dr. Orler came up, and she's like, oh, my God, because I'm very vocal, yeah. and I and I just, just had to let the the nursing staff, no, you can't do that with my dad, yeah. you know, make it easy on yourselves. And so she got a, um, a picture of me and an idea <laughs> of me and it's like, hmm. And so, but that's how I am with, I'm their advocate. And there was another incident with my mom at a, at a different hospital. And I didn't feel that they cared for her in a timely enough manner. And and I just had to write a letter. I'm a letter writer. Right. Dr. Euler knows I'm a letter writer. <laughs> and so I had to let people know, this is what you did. This was not okay. Yeah. And so we were called into the hospital and... Um, it was the two nurses, two nursing managers or whoever, or vice presidents. Yeah. And one of them said, you have quite the advocate. They said that to my mom. Mm -hmm. You have quite the advocate. And I'm like, but that's my role as an advocate. Well, I was. that's funny that you used the word, because as you were talking, I was going to ask the same thing. I mean, it, it obviously, you're a professional. You're someone who... Um, as you say, you know, as a questioner about healthcare, which I just think some of us are like that. But the advocacy role, especially for relatives in medicine, is not something that comes easy to a lot of people. Where do you think that came from with you? Because I'm in healthcare slash yeah, education, yeah. and I had a, a pretty good understanding working in a hospital uh, of the role of family members and how important it is in the care of the patient. Got it. And so I think that's where that came from, yeah. Uh, and then let me ask you, and then I'm, I'm finally going to get Dr. Euler into the conversation. Um, it sounds like, you know, so your dad saw Dr. Euler first, you followed after, your mom after that. Um, did you have any hesitancy yourself about sort of bringing all the family into one place? Uh, with, not at all. No, no. UFC is a wonderful place. Yeah. It, it truly is what I like about it. It's all inclusive. Like we see Dr. Euler, then we walk down the hall, we right. get lab work. You can right. get it done on the same day. Right. They could schedule you for follow-up visits. I love that. Yeah. It, it's so easy. And then the other thing that I really like about it is most of the time your test results come back the same day. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't have any hesitation. And my husband's also in the fold with Dr. Euler <laughs> and he likes it too. So we're, we're all family with her. Yeah. 
And Julie, let me ask you, I mean, we obviously work together and have, I think, fairly similar practices. Do you in these situations, uh, you know, I think the benefit is obvious when you take care of a family and you sort yeah. of know the relationships um, and you know how other people's health is affecting other members of mm-hmm. the family. Are there challenges that you think about and that maybe make relationships with one person more difficult because you know everything about somebody else? I think they're mostly joys. I mean, um, I started taking care of Mr. Hamilton as a very, very young physician. I was just out of my residency training and I saw him for 12 years alone, you know, by himself. In his patent leather shoes and his suits and his, <laughs> he always dressed up and like brought his best self yeah. and really got to know him, knew about his passions for bowling and church. Yeah. And, um, you know, Kimberly was the first patient that um, came with him. And yeah. I think it was really around he he had this early dementia, had this appendectomy, had delirium in the hospital. Okay. And just it led to like a prolonged, he was confused. And we both know that he got a little combative mm. when he was in that early delirium. Delirium, dementia stage. And I think that led to, you know, how is he going to get better? And Kimberly, with her strength and her advocacy, really yeah. lifted him out of that. Yeah. Um, and I think there are so many joys of just yeah. taking care of a mom and a dad sure. and a daughter and her, they're her husband um, and knowing their family. Yeah. I think um, we've had multiple visits or we had multiple visits where it was like three people plus me in a room and it's it's all of their visits at once and like making sure that we move through and try to finish one person first and then move to the next person and then sometimes we backtrack because we gave one person a flu shot we forgot to give the first person a flu shot and so um you know i think sometimes more people is more people and our rooms are not meant for a four-person you know visit so i think if there's any challenges, it's more probably a space challenge and like, uh, and like, um, but in, in that there's just so much joy of getting to know like what's important to this family. What are the values of this family? So sure. um, I'd say if there's any challenges, it's mostly space and sometimes time, but, um, but like the benefits that. way outweigh I that. Like that. I always like moving people around on the chairs yeah. and the tables <laughs> and who's on the hot seat yeah. right now. Um Kimberly, it's, it sounds like hearing about your dad, who sounds like was, you know, was quite a person, um, he sounds like the end was somewhat prolonged and somewhat difficult. Is that true? It, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was because, um, as Dr. Orley said and just reminded me, his journey with dementia did start after he had the appendectomy sure. because he'd never been hospitalized yeah. from the time that I've known him. So this was quite odd for him. And so as I watched him and then in retrospect, and and I was putting together some of the things that he was doing and I'm like, hmm, Mm -hmm. that was a sign, but I, you didn't, I didn't pay attention to it. You know, you you recognize things in retrospect sort of before that hospitalization that might've been a, so, um, but he eloped from the house a couple of times and we, we had to finally figure out how to keep him in the house because he was gone for eight hours one day. Mm -hmm. And that was, yeah, that was scary. You found him on the North side. No, he he was, he was on uh, 47th and King drive. Oh, but on the bus, he was trying to get on the bus and the bus driver noticed there was something amiss about his Mm -hmm. conversation. I don't know who that bus driver was, but we had already alerted the police and he came home and he came in the house and he's like, what, what? 
what are you talking about? There's nothing <laughs> wrong. And he was dressed to the nines, like Dr. Euler said, you know, yeah, and yeah. it was just like, oh, my God, we we just <laughs> didn't know. And we put him in a facility after that. But that was short lived because he I think it was mentioned, you know, he could be combative. Yeah, and so yeah. and he came out right before the country shut down in February uh, 2020, which was a blessing. Yes, absolutely. Because I don't know what I would have done personally, because I was at his facility. It was within the village of South Holland. So I would yeah. go there every morning, yeah. clean up, get yeah. him up. And had they shut it down and I couldn't visit, I would have been crazy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. getting him home and keeping, we figured out how to lock the house up. That yeah. was the main thing because months before that I had locked up his car so he couldn't get in the car. And that was the one thing he that was, was asking. It was. Yeah. And then Dr. Orley had told me, she said, he's going to forget about the car after a while. And she was right. Yeah. He did. But he was asking neighbors, can you cut this thing off my wow. car? Oh, yeah. And I told, I had to tell the neighbors, whatever you do, do not do anything for God said he's got dementia. So yeah. that journey with him, it was interesting. And then at the end, um, and actually, I kind of knew that he was going to leave the day before mm. he left because he he wasn't eating. As a speech pathologist, I used my skills. I had to change his diet, you know, and Perea's food. And, and then I found out later I would crush his meds. And then he was, I found out he was spitting them out. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. So, but anyway, so. Yeah, it was quite a journey. I think the I'm um, giving kudos to the bus driver. I think the CTA is going to use this podcast as like an advertisement. <laughs> yeah. um, so many of us have experienced, you know, I don't know, let's call it difficulty, trauma, whatever, um, of caring for parents or other older relatives, kind of seeing them through their final days. And I, and I always say, like, it's going to be hard. There's no way to make it perfect. Um, do you think, given like your interaction with medicine during that, are there suggestions you can give, you know, either to us as doctors or even as like other people, you know, navigating their parents through that, I don't know, would be helpful? Just either specific things we could do or ways of thinking about the experience? Um, The one thing I think is be realistic about what's going on because there's life and then there's death and it's coming no matter what. The death is coming. And so you have to be realistic about it and understand what it is that you're dealing with with your specific family member in terms of the medical profession, I, you know, Dr. Euler was really good. She was helped. She answered all questions. You know, I would get on my chart, yeah. and if I had to call her, I would. She was really good about responding. She understood what I was dealing with. I think she understood what I was dealing with better than I did, and yeah. and and because I was in it, yeah. and I was just moving forward. I didn't. All I knew to do was take care of both he and my mom. And that's all that I knew yeah. what to do. And so she was really helpful. You know, she would ask questions, how you doing and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, but I think having a physician who, who truly cares about you as a patient is helpful. You're not just, okay, this is my two o'clock. Right, right. And you know, you have to really care right. about the patient. Julie, what are your, I don't, I was going to call them tricks, but tricks is probably the wrong thing. Um, I think, Kimberly, you you articulated it really beautifully. You know, often we've experienced things as doctors multiple times, right? And um, sometimes you're guiding people who are going through an experience for the first time. And 
I often struggle with, okay, you know, how do I give advice here mm -hmm. when I recognize that everybody's um, sort of experience with family is is their own, right? Mm -hmm. As personal, as idiosyncratic, that I don't have all the knowledge in the world. Um, but we do deal with these kind of transitions, mm -hmm. um, whether it be into dementia or death or whatever, you know, so frequently. Um, are there things that you've kind of seen happen over the years with you that has made you? I think the main thing for me, Adam, is um, just continuing to like, just talk about it just a little bit at yeah. every visit. Um, yeah. I, I think I, I don't remember, you know, it's been a couple of years since her parents passed away, but I, I do remember just like how, like, let's now that he, when he first got dementia, let's just talk about what he wants mm. so that like we have his voice in the situation, even though he has dementia, he can voice. And I think, he was a little bit of a fighter. Like, I don't think he always want, you know, he didn't want to have the discussion all the time. And I love that about him because he wanted to, you know, fix his cough and his urination and the other <laughs> things that he wanted to do. But I think as I go through my note, I have a little in my note template, yeah, a little bit yeah. of like, what are, tell me about like, sure. who's going to make decisions for you and what what is important to you at the end of life. And so I don't talk about it every time, but I think you know, a couple times a year over many, many years helps the family and the patient ease into the conversation as opposed to the urgent, like, this is happening right now. Right, right, what? And right. I, and I um, also just walking with the family, like, sometimes it's right when it felt like he couldn't be in his house because he was wandering. Mm -hmm. So we talked about putting him in a nursing home or a memory yeah, center yeah. and that felt right at the time. And then it didn't feel right. It felt like he was locked up in the thing and he didn't like that and it made him more agitated. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I think the we eventually, Kimberly, we did hospice, I think, at the end. Mm, well, yeah, at home. Hospice at home. At home. Hospice yeah, VTOS was at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that also is a hard decision about when is that right? Like, they're doing okay. They have, right. they have really great family support, and they had yeah. kind of set everything up at home. But what is, what is hospice going to add? Are yeah. they going to be helpful? When are we ready, like, mentally to decide that that's you know, the right decision for their family. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's it's just like talking about it every time and like sensing where the family is, guiding them through it. And um, I think, you know, knowing the details of what is truly available in those hospice situations, what are you going to have to provide? Because, you know, their family did a lot of work. You know, be, help, hospice is helpful with mm -hmm. expectations, but still the family's providing 95% of the support. And um, that I think sometimes is misunderstood right. that the hospice is going to fix everything. And so giving people a real, a realistic perspective right. of like, what's it going to be like? I think that's absolutely true. What I've learned both in practice and unfortunately personally is that with everything hospice can offer, whether in the hospital or at home and how wonderful it is, right, it's still a difficult process yeah. and it's still a lot for you know, the family, the spouse, whatever to carry, um, you know, so it's almost, how are you dealing with this? We can add a little bit, but we can't change the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Kimberly, I, you may have answered this already, but it's something that I think about all the time. And I ask people all the time because I love getting people's views about it. Um, so I think often the experience of how um, people close to us interact with medicine, especially during stressful periods, right? Whether it's when they're like terribly sick or, you know, whether they're going through the end of their life and the transitions um, affect our own kind of relationship with medicine going forward, right? Um, and I can only imagine, you know, that experience of seeing a loved one delirious in the hospital is like awful, right? It is. 
has that made you think differently about, you know, your relationship with healthcare or what you want for your future? Um, And don't get too personal (laughs) if you don't want to. As I asked that question, I was like, maybe this is digging a bit too much. Um, my relationship with healthcare, again, I keep going back to Dr. Euler and she makes me feel so comfortable in talking to her about, um, what's going on with me. So I'm not jaded or anything like that because I've been in healthcare working as a speech pathologist. I understand healthcare. I also know that um, you have to advocate for yourself. You know, it's not all the doctor. And there are times when I've researched it online and I've brought it to her and I know mm-hmm. she wants to say, I don't know why she thinks she's the doctor here. <laughs> but, um, no. but um, you know, I, I years ago, back in 1984, when I had my first case of shingles and I went to the doctor and he said, the best patient is the one who can advocate for themselves. You can't go in and just say, oh, I heard blah, blah. You have to be very specific with whatever your needs are. So I'm comfortable with healthcare, and yeah. a lot of it has to do with Dr. Euler. Yeah. I don't know if it were any other doctor, how I would feel about it. Well, because Dr. Euler was once my student and then my resident, I got to <laughs> oh, take so credit got for this. Credit. Okay, well, thank you, too. You did a good job. <laughs> Julie, what do you think um, about that? Um, sort of thinking forward, we're in a diff- in a little bit of a different position, right? Because not only do we have our own experience, but, man, you know, we see a lot both inpatient mm-hmm. and outpatient. Um, do you think your view of, like, what's ahead for you has kind of changed as you've learned more and seen more? Um. I think so. I think, I, I think you know, we as physicians feel like we have the, no- the knowledge behind us, but yeah. the knowledge is not always yeah, everything. <laughs> right. You know, the knowledge is not, you know, it doesn't have the sadness of like, I'm, I'm losing this yeah. person or yeah. this person slipping away from me. Then yeah. The knowledge doesn't have the practicalities of like how I'm going to manage this, my life plus, you know, taking care of family. Um, And I think, um, you know, and and I think also just it has also reminded me just to find the joy. You know, we have talked about this before. I've showed you my little red book. My like, (laughs) I have a little take notes about patients loved and lost so that they like, you know, and I and I just think about that as like what you know, what did that patient give to me? What did I give to them? And how have I grown as a physician by like helping, you know, her dad and also her mom, who Mm -hmm. was like such an amazing wife, supportive of, you know, her husband as he went through dementia and then, you know, died within a week of each other. And um, that, that kind of love is just, you don't, you get such a window into people's lives. And so it helps me, I think, in my own relationships, value things differently as I'm moving forward. Sure. Kimberly, I was going to wrap up, but anything else that you've thought about that you just want to say here? Um, I don't know. What else do you want to know? I can go on and on. (laughs) I feel like I could get a tutorial on speech pathology. I I won't go there. So thanks very much for joining us for this episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast. We're sponsored by the Buxbaum Institute for Clinical Excellence at the University of Chicago. Please feel free to reach out to us with your thoughts and ideas on the Buxbaum Institute website or Twitter page. Um, And Julie and Kimberly, thank you again for joining me today and taking the time for this. Thank you. Thank you. The music for the Clinical Excellence Podcast is courtesy of Dr. Malin Martinez.